Hey guys, it's Ed and I'm coming to you live from the Drunk Gossip Studios here in New York City. And happy Memorial Day, everyone. Um, I hope you all are having a lot of fun and enjoying yourselves. Um, as you can tell, I'm on a brief hiatus. I needed a long weekend. Uh, mostly just to relax and refresh. Um, so I, I took some time away from all of my jobs. Um, I've been reading a lot and and whatnot. Um, but today I wanted to bring you another long blind item. I, you know, I really find this so fascinating and there's so much fun to, um, to look into. Um, and a lot of times I'll, I'll just fall down a rabbit hole because frankly, there is so interesting. I love, um, especially like this one is, it's, old-ish Hollywood. Um, So this one comes from him over um, on Medium, and they called it The Right Hand of Power. And um, as we usually do with him blinds, we're going to um, read it in... Um, three or four segments, and then the last segment will, of course, be um, us talking about the answer and uh, some of the things that I found um, while doing my research. So, without further ado, the right hand of power. The owner of the television network was angry. Very, very angry. So angry, in fact, that he sat silently his fingers clasped together, lips pursed, in sort of a Dr. Evil pose. He stared down the network executive sitting near the owner's desk. The network executive really couldn't believe what he was hearing. The owner said he was not going to pay, quote-unquote, that fruit a dollar more. It was not about to be forced into an ultimatum by some, quote, half-retarded fruitcake, end quote. Demanding more control, licensing money, and higher per show payments. Wow. He thinks he's going to hose us on the profits? Fuck him. Here's that, here's that little shit's ticket to oblivion, said the owner calmly. He handed the executive a file folder. The executive opened it puzzled, and with each page he browsed, he felt a knot in his stomach growing larger. The executive asked the owner if maybe he may want to consider using it as a negotiate, uh, as a negotiating tool. Make the star uh, actor cave in instead. Cave my ass, said the owner. Bury him. I don't like that little prancing faggot all over my airwaves, and now he's telling me? What's what? Fuck him. In one week, I want him buried, grumbled the owner. The executive spoke louder, but he makes the affiliates a lot of money. His demographics. The owner shut him down. Buried, I said. Buried. Make sure of it. Personally, the man to call is in the back of the folder. One week. With that, the owner did a sort of royal wave and dismissed the executive. And this, this is just part one of the story. I'm going to end here because 
um, the narrative shifts to a different part of the story. Um, but this is just one part where we have an angry, angry owner, a, a very, very angry network owner, um, because someone is asking for more money. Now, nowadays, that wouldn't happen because networks are owned by conglomerates now, not by one person. Um, Fox may be the last network that's fully owned by one person. Um, and that's... I, I don't know if that's hurt or helped the business, to be honest. I, I would argue that it's probably hurt. Um, because once the conglomerates were able to start creating their own networks, we've seen that the ratings have slid down. But that's enough commentary from me. Um, I'm going to go and I'll be right back with more of The Blind. And I'm back. So, let's go on with some more of This Blind. It was a summer afternoon on a perfect day in, in a year of the early 90s. The internet didn't exist as we know it. No social media, mobile phones, or Google. No YouTube. Not even any texting. The executive checked his watch on, his, on the way out of the hollowed office of the owner. That owner, some piece of work. A purebred son of a bitch in, in the classic mode. An autocrat with the money and connections to get what he wants. Whether it was at his network, his, his other companies, his own family, or even the Congress of the United States. The owner would cheat or steal and ruin anyone he desired. The owner always would win. In those days, the star was an A-plus list star of movies, television, video, and lots of merchandising. He was a hit on cable, network, and the cinemas, and the toy stores. He and his character became one. Iconic. People who didn't speak English knew who he was. At his peak in the late 80s, he was taking in over $20 million per year at a time when the biggest box office stars like Stallone and Willis had yet to break the $10 million per picture barrier, and they'd take home $5 million after all the cuts. But this guy, as far from an action hero as possible, he was a one-man money machine. More than that, he was a brand with a huge future heading upwards. If he could only survive the sausage grinder he'd found himself on. There were no substitutes, no stunt doubles, and no way to get a replacement. He was the character. Today is now 2019. A lot of, wonder under, a lot of water under the bridge since those years. I'm sitting here with, the, with that same network television executive who told me the entire story from start to end. I still can't fathom it all. Like most Americans and others globally, I couldn't figure out how in the world that star fell so fast so many years ago. How did he allow himself to be so careless? All he'd suffered to build his, his brand, his empire, gone in a minute. Some assumed that the star did it himself as a way to escape the grind and pressures. Others assumed he was just a total fuck-up. 
The truth, as I was just told, is far more complex and yet predictable. The oldest motive in the world, money. For even just gossip, I could not take this one former executive guy's word for it, even if he was the hatchet man. But there were two people I knew who could verify or refute the story. One was the star himself, easy enough for me to meet with through a mutual friend we shared. The other, a far less accessible man, was the person responsible for the contents of the folder the executive was given all those years ago. The man who did the digging for the owner. The compiler of the star's ticket to oblivion, quote-unquote. He was about to be released from federal prison. This is actually how I found myself chasing down this rabbit hole. I had heard that this executive had once used the sneaky snooping man for a job, and that event led to a big lawsuit surrounding a big movie, especially since that movie was about that same network and the owner and the owner's other corporations. The executive confirmed to me that he, in fact, had used multiple people for multiple jobs in the days he worked for the owner. This included the snooper. After clearing up my queries about the movie, that that new show and that massive corporate lawsuit and sale of the network, the executive said he thought I was there to ask about, quote-unquote, the star and the downfall. That's when I became an unintended father confessor for his sins. Dun-dun-dun. I'm going to leave that right here just for a second so I can take a break. But you can tell that this is already building to something really big and juicy. And it is. Uh, I've read this three times now. Um, The first time I read it just for fun, like I always do. The second time I read it to see if it would make a good segment. And the third time I read it for research. And good lord. But for right now, I'm going to go and I'll be right back. And I'm back. So, the executive is confessing to him all about what really brought down a a megastar who was making 20 plus million in a time when um, no movie star had broken through the $10 million barrier yet. So let's continue. The snooping man who did the dirty work has long since been held accountable for his past dirty work which is why he's sitting in a federal prison counting the days until his release, and not in his former Sunset Strip penthouse office where we first met. I've known this man, who we will call Snoop, for much of my life. That's all I will will say about that, except to say that I knew two things about him, two big things about him. One, he was very good at his job, and two, he was a total immoral maggot I despised personally. I visited with the inmate, Mr. Snoop, who was as shocked to talk with me as he was to be asked about, quote-unquote, the star. He seemed genuinely regretful over that entire case. He said, I didn't do anything to that guy that he didn't do to himself, you know. All I did was gather public information and pass it along to my client. Basic stuff. Nothing shady. 
I asked him if he set the actor up. Did I drop a dime? Yeah, but I didn't put him in the place he got caught. He did that himself. I had a local guy in the actor's home city tailing him when he went into that place, as he was known to do. The dude called me and I dialed a friend on the force and then a reporter there. All in under 15 minutes. Stupid fucking actors, man. They never remember that when they leave... When they leave Hollywood, that Hollywood bubble, their open season, that was a mantra I'd heard all my life and still repeat to this day. What happens in Vegas? No. Because in Vegas, you're a tourist, but in LA, you're a commodity, an asset, to many corporations with vested interests in protecting you. If you're a big star or a big shot, It's the root of many evils in Hollywood. It's a company town ever since the golden ages. But step out of that bubble, and you are fair game. Normal normal rules apply. You're basically a quote-unquote normal citizen. Ask any celeb busted outside of L.A., and this celeb was about to make history with his bust. Never saw it coming, says the star. Oh, sorry about the pun. Ha 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 ha. That's bad. Really bad. He laughs to me. I just have to shake my head smiling. The guy is still just so damn nice. He's self-deprecating, low-key, and very, very intelligent. Which makes me ask him, how could somebody as smart as you be so totally stupid? He smiles at me. Don't sugarcoat it, okay? And chuckles before his face goes serious. I'm telling you, I never thought for a second I would be noticed. You saw the photos, right? Everybody did. Would you have recognized me? It was a very valid point that the star made, or that the star had there. He continues by explaining it all to me. He said he liked to smoke weed. It allowed him to relieve his anxiety and stress, which never seemed to stop. People making demands on him, appearances, tapings, voiceovers, and then the actual writing and shooting of his shows. Even worse, he had to do it all quote-unquote, in character, makeup and wardrobe. He could not be himself. It was like a recipe for schizo. Years later, a court-ordered Tring told him he indeed had several disorders, but says he figured most artists did. It's why they became artists. Even so, the grueling pace, business negotiations, demands, it all takes a toll night after day, year after year. But he never asked for pity. I was well rewarded. It's a trade-off, but at a certain point, the money cannot buy you time or rest. And speaking of time or rest, I'm going to rest for a second, but I will be right back. Um, This episode is apparently going to be running longer. When I first practiced it, I thought it was going to be much shorter. Maybe it's because I talked to you guys too much. (laughs) Um... But anyways, I'm going to go, and I will be right back with more of this delicious blind item. And I'm back. So let's head right back into the blind. Um, The star was just talking about how he hadn't had a rest, um, or money couldn't buy a rest. So... The star says that he's ashamed of it, but he's he'd been to several quote-unquote adult businesses in the past. 
In the days before the internet, there was no anonymous porn, no Tinder or Grindr. And anonymous hookups were too risky. After all, he was being marketed as a role model for children, a job he admits he never wanted or planned for. He says his alter ego was designed for adults. But studios, networks, and merch outfits threw so much money at him, he skewed his act towards the kid demographic. His success really came from appealing to both adults and kids, but his personal life never was prepared for that. He says that once he noticed the effect he had on kids who became his fans, it changed him. I began to really care about trying to do a good job for them without talking down to them, to be funny and not preachy. He also began hiding his smoking and taking steps to conceal his private life and only appear in his role. Over the years, he wishes maybe he'd just stay targeted to adults. I swear, can you imagine how it would have played if I was just some ironic character for adults and got busted like that? It would have made me a legend, not a leper. They would have doubled my revenues, he says, and he's probably right. But truth was, he was raking in big money from catering to kids, too. Adults were not buying his toys. The kids were. Then came the negotiations. The star says he signed a shit deal with with his big network. After his movie success, live routines, and cable specials, he was ready for network television. But they offered a very low price. Yet his business managers worked out a very lucrative deal whereby... His company retained ownership and control of all he created, including valuable merchandising revenues. That was the trade-off, and one that made him rich in the span of just a few years. Over the past decades, he always maintained that he made little money from his television ventures, and he was right. But he never mentioned the windfall he reaped from owning his IP and his merchandising and licensing. Since outlets outlets like Variety and Forbes, they include those in star earnings, quote-unquote, in those days. He could dodge the big lists and keep his negotiating power as an underdog. The network knew differently. They did the research and knew they were leaving big money on the table. They wanted to correct that, too. His contract with the network was up for renewal. He admits he was burnt out and considered not renewing his deal anyway until another network stepped in with a large offer, an offer that included network shows, primetime specials, and the same ownership terms he enjoyed with his old network. The kicker was that the new bidders included feature films and a guaranteed green light or pay-for-play offer for different projects, not just the same old one he'd done forever. His contract with his existing network required him to allow them to match the bidder's offer. Something they could not do since they had no movie studio in their corporate conglomeration. Instead, his managers offered a compromise without the star's approval. If the old network would offer more per episode plus guaranteed primetime specials, then the quote-unquote par value of the overall deal would match the new bidder's offer. That was one thing that pissed off the network owner so bad. Along with the fact that the network wanted a cut of the star's merch and other revenues, they were angry he was asking for more money up front. The owner, according to the executive who worked under him, felt like the star owed his success to their network. 
a dubious claim nobody ever shared since the star and his pals built their success themselves. The owner felt betrayed and angry like a parent dealing with a greedy, ungrateful child. And you see what I mean? Like, there's, it, there's just so many layers kind of coming apart like a, like an onion here. And after I do the Beverly McKenzie story, I might actually tackle this one if I can, um, if I can um, start to get some of the research put piece together. Um, but we'll talk about that at a different time. Right now, I'm going to go take a break, and I'll be right back. And I'm back. All right, so the owner is really pissed off that the star wants more money. Um, and the owner also wants more money. He wants a cut of the lucrative merch business. So let's get more into this blind. Or so he said, in the end, the owner listed multiple reasons why he wanted the star under control or off the network. The owner also never cared for the star or his brand of humor. He never got it, says the executive. He thought the star was a homosexual pervert, and he sure as hell was not going to increase the payout. Yet when the network sales and affiliate people weighed in, he saw how valuable the star was to the overall network family. But the star's people refused to share revenues. They would go to the other network slash studio, so the owner didn't want the star, and and since he couldn't get him on his own terms, he was going to make sure nobody else would get him either. According to Snoop, he'd done lots of work for the network's owner before. He wouldn't elaborate or name names beyond discussing the movie project I'd asked him about originally. He admitted to having a part in that fiasco, even though another guy in his line of work took the heat on screen and off for his role in the entire affair. But the job concerning the star was run of the mill work, according to him. Public record stuff. Busting him was the only shady part, and even that was legally protected under state citizen want under state citizen witness to a crime or crime stopper statuses. His words, not mine. <coughs> Excuse me. This is why I need to rest. <laughs> Snoop dug up past arrest, one for a prior similar offense and one for marijuana. Stuff that wouldn't read a tweet today, never mind going viral, but, but back then, with that particular actor and the role he occupied, it was scandalous. He says his lewd act was mostly pragmatic. Although there was, although there was no internet for anonymous relief as it is today, he says he'd visited adult businesses maybe a dozen times in his life. He was afraid if he rented movies, a clerk would have the records to feed tabloids. He feared the risk was greater of arrest than hiring a hooker. He said he tried normal re- relationships, but that too was open to spurn lovers, bad breakups, and inviting scrutiny into personal life. He had just he just had to keep invisible, or else it would bleed into his character. He'd had a few bad breakups, mainly owing to his unforgiving work demands and schedule. So for the longest time, he resorted to just physical relief, you know. 
he says, but it turns out that that too became a danger. He was constantly afraid of quote-unquote exposure for good reason. Still, on the spur of the moment, it was his only viable option, especially when visiting family when he was out of town. It was easy to fire up a doobie, relax, and go out. The negotiations with the network went badly. On the surface, they agreed to disagree. The network said both parties agreed to end their relationship. The star says he was happy to move on and have new chances to explore new types of roles. He had no clue of the anger and betrayal the network owner had felt. The more it festered, the more the star forgot about the network and the owner. He let his hair down and took a break. Sadly for him, he also had no idea he was being followed or researched by snooping associates. Fast forward until that summer evening. The, the executive said he was sick the entire day, combing through the background report on the star. He knew the scandal and damage it would cause. He also knew there was no good into it and that it was just a vendetta from the owner. He also assumed he would be fired and blackballed by the owner if he didn't do the job. Yet, he still considered finding ways to warn the star or to lose the file. And I think this is a good place to take a break. Come back with the conclusion to this sordid tale of the South. (laughs) Yes, that's a big clue for where we're where we're heading when we talk about who this is about so i'm gonna go and i'll be right back and i'm back so we're gonna get back into the blind the network executive is suffering from guilt but the owner is is out for blood the phone rang before the exec could even do anything it was snoop calling him asking for the go-ahead or to abort it. The executive told Snoop that the owner wanted it done immediately. Good enough, said Snoop, who, who promptly called his local guy in the city where the star was visiting. The local guy followed him until the star went into the adult establishment. The local guy called Snoop, who told him to slack off but stay on him. The local guy maintained a visual in the lobby. Within a few minutes, two undercover cops from Vice rolled in. Several more were in the parking lot in uniform. The local guy slid out and called Snoop. His last two, guy, two calls were to a local reporter who later claimed he recognized the star's name from booking sheets. And the final call to the executive, it's done, was all Snoop told him. And, it, and indeed it was. The star said he was blindsided. First, the man sat down next to him and tried to get him to engage in physical touching with him. The star declined. Then the guy asked if he'd come into a bathroom stall with him. Again, the star declined. The star got up and walked out scared. He went to the bathroom. The man from inside then walked in. The man was an undercover vice cop. In minutes, as the star was readying to leave the john, the cops came up and one trailed behind him. Uniformed cops came in. They acted like they were looking for Lee Lee Harvey Oswald in JFK, said the star. They arrested the star and a few others and hauled them to to the jail. The entire time he was trying to think of ways to make this go away very quickly and quietly. 
one of the officers immediately called him by his actual name. That took the star by surprise, and he wondered if maybe someone recognized him. He talked to the cops and made offers to do a charity or fundraiser benefit for them if they dropped the whole mess. Bad idea, he says. Turns out that one of the cops in the precinct knew him knew him from when they were kids. He tipped the star off and that was that was not as it seemed and even helped the star post the small bail. It always bugged the star that they already knew who he was even before they sh- he showed them any ID. Now, after the revelations of the executive in Snoop, he knows the truth. Figures, he said, shaking his head. That bastard, the star continues, talking about the now-deceased owner of the network. That was dirty. Still, I put myself there. It's my responsibility anyway, he says. It was the mugshot heard round the world. People were shocked that he not only got busted for that, but at how he looked. A hundred and eighty degree from his normal role. The star says that when his show's run ended for the season and they were negotiating, he'd finished writing a new project he wanted to do. With the new network studio offering him films offering films to him, he wanted to do that first, so he let his hair grow and began to change his began to change his look to get ready for the new gritty role he planned. As negotiations dragged on, he left to spend time with his family on his vacation out of state and get some much-needed rest and melt into the crowd. Sadly, he never got that rest. Instead, the circus came to his life for real, and his rest turned into a career break lasting years. And speaking of career breaks, I'm about to take me one. Um, I think in the next segment, we're going to finish up the blind. Um, And then we're going to talk about, in the final segment, who this is about and how this fits into the context of pop culture history. Um, And uh, I've also looked into um, the movie because him started off saying that he he was actually checking out about this movie that was being made about um, the network and the network owner and I was just so fascinated by that Um, but the blind is so like I said the blind is so juicy and so good I couldn't ignore it I also can't ignore that I need a break so I'm going to go and I'll be right back and I'm back so when we left, the star was taking, he thought he was just taking a, a real quick rest. Um, uh, he was taking vacation to spend time with family. And then he went into a porn house and the cops set him up. So now we are going to complete our saga. The scandal erupted and he had to shuttle out of his family's home in the middle of the night. Even his agents couldn't find him. He begged a friend to help, and he was smuggled aboard a private jet from his sister's home city in another state and flown directly to an heiress's mansion up north. He spent days and weeks holed up off the grid. He began losing his mind. His only contact was was with his attorneys. His new deal with the new network studio? Gone. 
His old shows were yanked from broadcast. Stores removed his toys. Churches held bonfires to burn his collectibles. I cried day and night thinking of all the people I'd hurt and let down. And really, for what? A few minutes of physical release. It's so stupid, says the star. He also says only once had he contemplated suicide. Finally, a good friend stepped in and hunted him down, moving in with him and coaching him to face his scandal like a man. He'd not been caught hurting anyone, just doing a normal function, albeit not in a normal way or place. He pulled himself together. His first appearance in character was a triumph of irony and comic genius. He knew his life and career would never be the same, and in a macabre way, was sort of relieved. He never wanted to kill his beloved character, just get a break. He was sad that he'd not get to do that role again, but knew he could build on new roles if he ever got the chance. Eventually, he did. Years later, he found a misunderstanding threatened to derail him again. Since the 1970s, he collected legitimate art, erotic art, oddities, and antiquities. Most he would buy at estate auctions and consignments. Many are in giant lots of hundreds of items. It's... It's like a small museum of odd artifacts relating to human culture. One portion of this is human sexual culture going back to the ancient times. Among this are volumes of photos, postcards, and books. Among the collection of thousands of items were several photos that today would be considered shocking erotic art. African tribals, French students in 1800 Paris. Yet, they're not illegal under federal law due to the historic period in which they were made. In fact, many universities and museums have similar items, including the Smithsonian. But when local officers did a search of the star's possession years ago, they suspiciously uncovered many items he was unaware of even having. He pleaded no contest, but adamantly defended himself from speculations. I have never, would never, and will never touch or harm any other human in a sexual way without consent, or if they are underage, he says seriously. I've never tolerated that from anyone. The same for any materials I look at or own. I've never been attracted to even teenagers or people who look young. It's never appealed to me. You can see in his eyes and voice that he's not kidding, and not leaving any gray area. Even Snoop agrees that with that, saying he never found even a hint the star was into jailbait or else the owner would have used that to bring the star down. It would have been an easy target if he was a molester or a pedophile, says Snoop, but he just was not. The owner would have used it to derail the star permanently, but he was legitimately clean in that area. So the star weathered another possible storm and is happy to admit that I am who I am and I am not ashamed of it. Many different, maybe different than some people. But would they want cops snooping through their lives? How about the tabloids? It's a valid point. Still, he never asks for sympathy and never places the blame on anyone for the troubles he's endured. He is thankful for those who supported him and grateful 
for all he's earned and saved over his career. He says he's not bitter about what the executive or Snoop did. He says he may be bitter at the owner, but it does no good to dwell. After all, that guy's sins will haunt him to the grave anyway. Meanwhile, Snoop has far bigger issues to worry about. Pending his release from jail, he's under a cloud of fear for all he's revealed in other cases and and all he's never revealed. The executive has retired and moved on and tried to put his past and TV behind him. I sat with the star and asked him if he's learned from his past. Just gotta be honest about who you are. That was my mistake. I never thought my fans would like me for me, that they only wanted my character. I was wrong. I should have given them credit. I hope they'll give me a new chance, he says with a smile. Decades after all of that and scandals come and passed, he's found that chance again. Just whatever you do, don't ask if you can, quote, give him a hand, end quote. He groans at the bad joke and then laughs, that iconic laugh. And you know that he'll be just fine. Dun, dun, dun. The blind is done. When I come back, we're going to talk about who this is and how this all fits into the larger piece of pop culture, especially for um, um, the late 80s and early 90s. I'm going to go and I'll be right back, guys. And I'm back. So... The answer to this is um, Paul Rubens, who played Pee Wee Herman. Um, I did some research, and from 1986 until 1990, um, Pee Wee's Playhouse aired on um, CBS um, as part of the Saturday morning kids um, show block. And it was a massive success, of course. Um, we, If you don't know that, then... Pick up a history book. <laughs> no, I, I kid. Um, but yeah, it, w- it was a massive hit. Um, most people know that. Uh, we, I think you also need to um, know that for, for a very long time, um, it was known, or at least um, talked about, that yeah, um, Pee Wee Herman was not actually originally aimed at kids. Um, Baby Herman was more adult-oriented, and then um, people saw dollar signs and started moving the character towards being more of a um, more of a kids um, character, um, and a lot of this you can just look it up online. Um, uh, Entertainment Weekly had a great article about about the situation from 1990. Or ni- not, I'm sorry, it was from 1991. And Paul Rubin, um, they were talking about his arrest, how there was a big um, Disney MGM had um, pulled him into, into that family. He was doing um, talks about... Or he was doing um, uh, a segment, or I don't know what to call it. Um, like, part of their park 
was all about him talking about doing voice voiceover work. Um, and, and following the scandal, they pulled that, and that's when they dropped his the contract that they had offered him. So, you know, this this really was a huge, huge thing that really impacted almost every aspect of um, pop culture. Um, as him said, there were HBO specials, um, which actually led to the CBS show. Um, and the, with, with the CBS contract, there was talk about him doing some primetime specials with, it had he renewed the contract. William Paley, who owned CBS at the time, was known to be very cruel. If you, if you ever get a chance... I highly suggest reading um, the book The Swans of Fifth Avenue because you really get a sense of who he is from that. And, it, and it's not pretty. Um, when, when they say that he's a son of a bitch, they're not being facetious. They're not being funny about it. He really was just a, a piece of work character. Um, you know, and I was trying to find the movie that was being made about CBS and William Paley. I didn't have any look. Um, the closest one that I found that could potentially be it was called The Insider that was released in 99. Um, which means it was probably filmed between 97 and 98. Um, it, was, it would have been written before that. Um, and if there were a lot of lawsuits trying to stop the movie, you can almost bet that there was um, some delays and whatnot. Um, but like I said, that's the closest one. And the movie may not have... Um, it may not have made it. I would have to go back and look through some Entertainment Weeklies or, um, um, or, or pop culture magazines at the time. Maybe even something like Variety to see if I could... Um, if, if I can find it. But, be that as it may, um, Paul Rubens eventually did start to make a comeback. He's done some guest spots on TV shows. Um, they've been more adult-oriented, which is exactly what he wanted. Um, just a couple of years ago, he had a big P.B. Herman come back on Netflix um, and I'm, I've heard that he's willing to do more and, and in fact he wants to do more um, with the character but he doesn't want to get stuck in the same rut that he was in before um, 
And I think that would be, I honestly think that would be really fun. Um, I, I've heard that he's going to stick to a more um, adult audience this time. Since the, the people who grew up watching him and loving the original, you know, the original show, they've basically grown up by now and um, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to reach out to a new audience. He just wants to bond with his fans now. Uh, and I, and again, this is nothing that I can prove or would even want to, but there was talk um, right around the time of the Netflix special that he may do a book a la... Um, the Calista Explains It All series where um, he just does adult books with weird, wacky adventures with P.B. Herman, which would be fantastic! Um, but that's going to do it for me today. Thank you all so much for listening. Happy Memorial Day! I hope you guys have a fantastic time. Um, eat, drink, be merry. Um, send me some of your best drink recipes. Um, I think we're gonna resurrect that this summer. I gotta talk to Will, because, you know, I have to get approval before I make changes. (laughs) Anyways, thank you all so much for listening. And until next time, cheers.